welcome back to the Middling Along podcast. I'm your host, Emma Thomas, and my guest today is Professor Joyce Harper. Strap in, this is quite a bio. You ready? Joyce is an award-winning educator, author, podcaster, academic and scientist. She's a professor of reproductive science at University College London in the Institute for Women's Health, where she's head of the Reproductive Science and Society Group. She's worked in the fields of fertility, genetics and reproductive science since 1987, written over 240 scientific papers, published three books. She is leading the development of the UK Menopause Education and Support Programme with support from key organisations. And that's one of the things that she's going to talk to us about today. And she's also co-founder of the UK Fertility Education Initiative and the International Reproductive Health Education Collaboration. That's quite a mouthful. She's working with schools in the UK and globally to help deliver a reproductive health education. Her latest book, Your Fertile Years, What You Need to Know to Make Informed Choices, was published in 2021 by Sheldon Press. And her podcast is called Why Didn't Anyone Tell Me This? Available on all podcast channels. Deep breath. Welcome to the podcast. (laughs) Hi, Emma. Sorry about that. (laughs) It's always embarrassing. Stand up and, and own it. That's it's, it's an incredible bio. Should we should we dive right in? And for anyone who hasn't heard about this, and and I guess you know if they don't necessarily work in in the sort of menopause menosphere, they they may well not have heard of it yet. So you're leading the development of this UK wide menopause education and support program. What's it all about? Okay, so I'll start a little bit further back. So as you said, I've worked in in the, this field for decades. We won't say I can't remember how many decades now. And through the years, I've been very aware, even when I first started in 1987, that women are not taught about how their body works and especially mm. their reproductive health. So uh, back in the 80s, I did actually start writing the the book that I've just finished. <laughs> Better, better late than it only took 30 years. But I did start writing it because at that time I was learning so much about women's health, about my menstrual cycle and my fertility. And I realized that my friends and I didn't understand this. And roll on to 2024. And guess what? We still don't know this. And obviously about 10 years ago, my, those same friends are now going through the menopause and they hit this black box where they were mm. going through this life-changing event and not having really hardly any knowledge about what was going to happen to them. So I started doing a lot of research. I've surveyed over 6,000 women to ask them what they know about the menopause and their views about the menopause and their experiences. And we've also started doing focus groups last year with different groups of women to ask them again about their experiences for various topics. So from this work, the sort of main points are that women did not know what was happening to them. And for many women, they went through years without joining the dots. They thought they were going mad. They thought they had cancer. They, they really thought that something Early terrible. onset dementia. Right, dementia. <laughs> yeah. All these things. They lost their mojo. They thought this was the end of their life. And they did not realise that it was the very menopause. And unfortunately for many, when they went to their GP, their GP also didn't realise that they were in perimenopause. Mm. We'd get comments like, you know, a 45-year-old woman having experiences of perimenopause symptoms and going to her GP and being told, you're too young, you're not 51 yet. (laughs) So that's one of the important things to know, that 51 is the average age women go through the menopause, but it really, anything from 45 to 55 is totally normal. So, and perimenopause symptoms can happen, obviously, before that. 
Yeah. So for me, I was very aware from all this research from the last sort of eight years or so that there was a serious lack of knowledge. And my passion has always been education. It's my main part, main part of my job besides my research um, since the 80s. So last year, I got together some colleagues at UCL to talk about actually the research that we were doing. And then it was my colleague, Shima Tarek, that's, that's also been doing work on menopause. And she said, why don't we develop a program a bit like the pregnancy classes that we go to when we're pregnant, but do it for the menopause? So that was the eureka moment. I was like, yes, yes, that's what we need to do. <laughs> that's what we're doing. And we could, Shima and I could sit down right now and write this program, but we're making it very difficult to, for ourselves. But I think it's really rich and really wonderful to do it this way. We're asking everybody who could be affected by menopause to tell us what they think. How should this program look? What should it include? Have we thought of every different nuance of what we should be involving in this? So that's what we're right in the middle of doing now. We've done quite a lot of work and I'm happy to share some of the things we've done already with you. Mm. So we're co-designing a very inclusive course and program and what we're calling a suite of offerings to make sure that everybody in the UK understands the perimenopause, the menopause and supports women going through this really life changing event. And I guess one of the one of the things that that kind of sprang to my mind, having done one of those pregnancy courses 14 years ago, was about kind of cost and access and, and you know, people from all backgrounds being able to access this. And that, that's probably something that's a bit further down the line. But is that something that you're already very mindful of? Absolutely. It's been on the agenda since day one. We want this to be available to every woman in the UK. We do not want anyone not to be able to take it because English isn't their first language or they don't have the means to, to pay for this. So we are going to have health economists on board. I, I That's not my area. I can't figure mm. out the numbers of things. Um, and the costs of things there there's there's two main options I think in my view um one which would be unbelievable is that the government funds it <laughs> but we, <laughs> we'll laugh because we know that they don't really want to fund anything see. well the, the, the women's health strategy apparently is is putting menopause uh, on the the list of things to be tackled but then yeah work show me the money <laughs> yes but they'll talk about everything but I just I worry how much is hot there and mm. Leslie Regan, who's our Women's Health Ambassador, is is part of our advisory committee. Uh, so, you know, we've got her on board to, to try and push this through. And also Carolyn Harris, our Women's Health MP. But the other option is that obviously menopause in the workplace is big news as well, uh, as it should be. Better late than never. It's, it's there. People are discussing it. So we are hoping that the corporate world, that we, we could sell these programs to the corporate world and even bespoke them for different especially large companies and that the funds that we generate through that could either totally pay for uh, women in, in you know, who want to have this on a one-to-one or heavily subsidize it so that we can keep the costs mm. to a minimum and you know we're, we're all academics that are developing this the main core of people are from uh, UCL from University College London so we don't have to make any money we're not we're not a company there's you know, we don't have to make money. It's purely something that we want out there. And we don't want any woman to miss this. 
because chances are the women who might miss it if it was expensive are the ones that really, really need it. Mm. So we don't yeah. want it to be anything like, you know, 200 pounds or anything to do to do the main course. We want this to be as low or ideally, we hope, uh, free. What are the sort of the delivery mechanisms for, for kind of getting this out there that you're thinking about? Or is that something that's yeah. sort of a couple of steps further down the, the kind of the process? So all, all the things we're talking about are still very much being discussed with, with everybody. We want to hear from everyone and everyone's views. What we've thought about now, we had a brilliant workshop last year with over 50 people who gave us, we, we put various questions to them and they gave us fabulous ideas. We came out, my, my head was exploding. <laughs> Such a brilliant day. In a good but, way. <laughs> in a good way. But we don't want this to be a sort of classroom thing where you go in someone talks at you for an hour and ask you mm. ask some questions and you go home we want to be, to be very interactive and one of the questions we're asking everybody now who would you like this to be taught by and from the workshop people thought it should be a facilitator so it doesn't have to be even a nurse or a doctor it just needs to be someone who's properly tra- trained and the most important thing is facilitating the discussions and the knowledge exchange within the group. So we want to make really innovative education uh, tools that, for example, if we're talking about exercise, we might have a five-minute video of someone telling us how important exercise is for women. And then within the group, we can provide a list of questions and discussions in their community. Are there obstacles that they may have um, towards doing exercise maybe they live in a community where there isn't a gym nearby or maybe they're in a community that's not very safe to sort of go jogging or exercise outside or maybe they're they're in an area where there's lots of facilities but maybe they're really expensive so it will mm. really depend on the group so the facilitator will use the educational resources that we make and then have a sort of lesson plan but it'd be very bespoke so within the group of women in that program for that particular uh, session, they will see what affects them and how we can help support them and encourage them to think about different things like nutrition and uh, exercise and all of those sorts of things within their specific community. And are you thinking that that might be sort of differentiated potentially for, for people who are kind of coming from a, a kind of a younger age cohort or people who are postmenopausal, or that uh, again you would be able to sort of tailor it according to the demographic of particular groups. Yeah, so it, will, it will be a suite of offerings so for what, what we want um, to start off with so my research has shown that as I, I said women don't realize they're in the perimenopause because they don't identify those symptoms so something we really want to do for everybody, so men can take this program as well, maybe have a one-off session that we call something like Menopause 101, where we teach the basics. So these are the symptoms, um, These are, this is the age it can happen, You know, just the sort of nuts and bolts in, in one session, very information giving. So we'd like everyone to do that as soon as we've developed it so that they can understand. That would really tick one of the biggest problems that came from my research so far, that they just didn't understand what it was. Then when people are in the perimenopause, so once those symptoms are starting, 
We really want them to be in the room with other people who are going through the same thing. So if we go back to the pregnancy courses that happen, they really work well because the people in the room are all experiencing similar but not identical situations. Mm. So, you know, we can moan about our piles or our trap nerve or indigestion or whatever with other people in the room and, and, and appreciate that everyone's having a different experience. So we think of we are thinking that the main program that we offer will be specifically for women in the perimenopause. Obviously, we've got women who are going to miss this who are now postmenopausal. So that's something we will be thinking about. But we are thinking about things like neurodiversity. So neurodiverse individuals, um, we would probably need to um, design a course in a way that's specific to their needs. People that don't have English as their first language, um, the LGBT community, we um, appreciate that uh, a trans man would have a very different menopause experience than a woman. Um, and some of them have uh, surgical or chemical induced menopause because of the treatment that they're having. So we'd need something for them and, and them having a support group. I think they're a group that really probably don't have any menopause support at the moment. So having that yeah. support you know, with their peers, they're going through similar problems with them, I think will be, will be amazing. So we're thinking of um, also surgical menopause, women that go through very early menopause, all of those specific groups of people we are in dialogue with now to try and see how can we cover their needs. So even though we see a sort of central main program that would be for women going through the menopause at uh, uh, the sort of average age, there are lots of variations that we're going to have to develop to deal with all those different situations around that. So there'll be variations of that main programme. So you can see we've, we're really trying to be inclusive. We're trying to co-design this with all those different groups. And there's lots to think about. And, and within a company, you know, lots of people have said, well, we need the men. I mean, I've done a lot of corporate talks and what they always say is we haven't got enough of the men here. You know, I've had one meeting with yeah. one guy. <laughs> Self-select them out of those things. It's like, yep, that's not for me. But like, no, we really need you. <laughs> all the women at the end of this meeting with the one guy said, we're going to take you to the pub and buy or buy you a drink because you are a superstar. And then I had another follow-up at the same company and there were lots of men there. Um, so... We we need the women to be able to have their peer support with their you know similar people similar situation, but we need the men to understand this. So within the corporate world, we are going to be in discussions with different companies about how would you like this to look because we want to make sure that the men um, who are working with women that are going through perimenopause and menopause really understand um, and can be supportive of their female staff. Yeah. So there's loads to do <laughs> <laughs> gonna be a busy year um so you're uh obviously you're kind of still in that sort of information gathering phase at the moment what how long is that gonna kind of go on for and how can people get involved if they want to okay so we've got three wonderful things happening at the moment so um we have a survey that came out a few days ago and it's for all women uh, all women over 18, uh, any woman of any age, we want to hear from you. So yeah, we want all women to fill in the survey, but we also do want the trans men non-binary to fill in the survey. But it's only for 
we only want to hear at the moment from people who could be affected by the menopause or who, or who have been. So certainly post-menopause mm-hmm. women as well. So we want to hear from, from them about what they think about the program, any issues they may be having. We've given a list of topics that from the workshop was felt should be included. You know, is, is this right? Have we missed anything? Um, any specific needs that they might have? How long should each session be? How often should they be? How long should the co- whole course be? So we're asking all those questions now in the survey. We'd love everyone to be involved and everyone to give us their opinion on that. Then we're homing down a little bit deeper into this by doing focus groups. Very similar questions. They're almost identical to the survey, but within a focus group, we can get much deeper, richer uh, data yeah. from the, from the group. So that's the second thing. So if you want to do the focus groups again, we they just need to contact uh, one of us, and we we've, we've got a number uh, of dates already in our diary. And then we have got the basic syllabus, and what we want to do is we're working with various groups at the moment to see how that how we can flesh that out. So for example, one on sleep, we want to see what sort of information people need to know about sleep there might be specific issues people have with sleep that keep coming up you know for example you know waking up too early then get to sleep mm. waking up and those sorts of things uh so we're happy to work with if anyone wants to be involved in any of those they're just less than one hour zoom meeting then get in contact with me and we're we, we've we'll got some details in the in the show notes yeah. about how how people can sign up, do the survey, um, and find find out some more information. So we'll make sure that that's yeah. that's in there if you want to check and get uh-huh. involved. What what's the kind of the cutoff point for for the survey, for example? We want we want to get to a couple of thousand. We're only at a couple of hundred at the moment. But it's only been a few days, so really we'll keep it open for as long as it takes to get to a, a high enough number. And um, we'll we, I check it every day, so we're just seeing. You know, have we got representations of different people there? So we'll we'll pop, yeah. we'll definitely keep it over, open for a couple more weeks. But I I think that we'll probably close it sometime in February because um, we've got to start looking at the data. And then the focus mm-hmm. groups are going to be over the next um, three four months. And then we are going to have another workshop probably around June or July time that if people wanted to come to, they can let us know. It will be. Uh, limited because we want to really get good discussions going with people want to hear from everyone about what they think about them about what we've done so far well so we'll report that Um, we're also going to have an event at the house of commons in the next few months uh, with carolyn harris and leslie regan to talk about where we are so far and, and where we can go with this and where the government can be involved and that so then by summer the end of summer this year we that we've just been working on this for just slightly over a year and we really want to consolidate where we are and hopefully by then we will be on track to get additional funding and the next stage will then be to start making the educational resources and also freaking figuring out all the nuts and bolts for example you know about how how long the course will be and nailing all that down so really narrowing everything down and so this is like the consultation period at the moment and then uh, come September, we will be sitting down and really putting everything together and making the different programs. And then obviously what we've got to do is test it and see what people think about it. I would be 
over the moon <laughs> if I'm quite an impatient person, but I'm learning to sort of you know, you and me and, both. <laughs> yeah, not rush so much. But I would love that by the end of the year, maybe we're testing out our menopause 101, our, our one session. And I'd love to do some of those face to face. I know online works very well, but as a as an educator and a speaker, I get so much more out of having an audience, and I can interact. I can look at people's faces when I'm saying things, and you know, are they frowning? Are they nodding? You know, how, how are they, you know, responding to what I'm saying? So I, yeah, I definitely hope to start that maybe we can do some of those. Um, we'll have the content for that for sure. So be great to do some menopause 101s live so that we can test the waters and then see what we need to do to develop that further but we 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 want to have everything online um so that it's really accessible some people prefer things online i know for sure so we we want to cover every base to suit everyone's needs and then the sort of the so it sounds like the sort of the full all singing, all dancing version would be what sort of sometime twenty twenty five. TBC. <laughs> I I really can't wait to see. I can see it. I can so much see it in my head that you know. I I live in quite a small town. We have a community hub that's free to use. I can see the women walking in the door. I've held a few menopause cafes and I run a women's group there as well. I've done for years. So I've done so much sort of leeway into this and I I can just see the women coming through the doors for the first. just want to jump ahead and do it and have it all, <laughs> all ready I mean, to go. Like, you know. As I said, I could design it all now and, and deliver it right now, but I'm putting the brakes on, doing the consultation. And as I said, I, I really want us to use innovative ways of delivering education there's so many funky things we can do um and definitely not someone standing there talking at the audience and then asking questions at the end we really really do not want that one very interactive all of my talks i give are very very interactive and we want them really interactive it will be ongoing I think with anything like this will continuously improve i mean i i've run yeah. master's courses since 96 and 1996 <laughs> and um you know we 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 evaluate and improve it every single year we make changes we give someone a little bit more time we you know add something we realize that they didn't quite understand this and we need to change this yeah well so much is changing so quickly now isn't it in this this world that yeah and especially language so language really changes i'll I'll share something with you. In the survey, we asked, we wanted to know whether people were female, trans, male, non-binary and other. And the last few days on Twitter, there's been a big uproar. So I did I did change the wording of that question. And it was my it was our fault, uh, we that designed it. And and you know, we're I'm I'm obviously juggling lots of things at the moment, meetings and teaching and traveling and conferences, etc. So looking back, it was a silly mistake, but I we had written, how, it was something like, how do you identify? And we wrote female, trans, male, non-binary, other. And we had tested it with 40 people before. No one was bothered. But online, lots of people said, I am a woman. I don't identify as female. I'm a woman. So we changed the question. We changed it to which describes you. And I think that's fine. And we didn't write woman we wrote female and my problem about writing woman is that some trans women feel they are women 
whereas female is very clear. It's the biological term. Yeah. So it can be quite a minefield concept. I think you're just kind of getting these things. It's important to get right, but equally, I think, yeah, sometimes it's. But you can't yeah. please everybody because some of those people that have been very vocal on Twitter do not believe that you can be a trans man or a non-binary. So no matter what we put there, they they wouldn't accept it. Mm. And I I I I can't change their mind. But we don't want to exclude those people who have transitioned to being a man mm. and will experience menopause. And I think their story is really important and their support's really important. So it's it's really I mean, I've been in the firing line from both sides. Some people have called me anti-trans, some people have called me too pro-trans. I I can't win. <laughs> I absolutely really want this program to use the word woman as well because so many things you know when people have said things like chest feeding and you know st stop using you know people with a vagina and that that sort of thing that just that just really gets my back up we I think we need to use the word woman um but I must say that in our um we, we've generated a teacher's guide for reproductive health education in schools it's a global guide and it will be translated and it's just going to come online very soon it's just being um made to look all lovely at the moment the graphic people are redrawing images yeah. and things oh great but it's something that i've done with my international reproductive education group but we were we opened it to consultation and the consultation we had many people who said we should use male and female and not man and woman so we had a big discussion about it some of my committee didn't think that was right they thought we thought we should use man and woman so it was complicated so we 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 have written in the teacher's notes that we have decided to use the biological terms of male and female and not man and woman. So we haven't got any man and woman in it. And I'm not trying to eradicate the word woman. I really, really am not. I'm really, I stand up many, many times. I work at the Institute for Women's Health and I'm very proud to work at the Institute for Women's Health. And many of my research papers have only been with women, but I am leaving it to the teachers to decide and I've suggested to the teachers that they ask their class which mm, terms would yeah. they like to use. That actually came from one of my students. I've discussed this a lot with my students. And they said, why don't the teachers set the language first with the class and ask the class what do they feel comfortable with using? Um, and we've told the teachers, you are absolutely at liberty to edit any of the slides. It's totally up to them. So if they want to use male and female or man and woman, within the slides then they it's up to them to do that so we've kept it to the biology yeah as i said there can be confusion sometimes using man and woman um so we want to, we want it to be really clear mm. so i can't win <laughs> unfortunately <laughs> you can try and please all the people all the time but um yeah you can only try <laughs> yeah. um Let's pivot now and talk about uh, uh, your own podcast, which I think is going into series two. Tell us a bit more about that. And how how did you come up with the name for, for starters? <laughs> so I really like talking to people. Anyone that knows me will know that I'm good at chatting. And I've met so many amazing people in my career. I'm very lucky that I, I travel the world and meet just amazing people. And to be honest, I don't listen to a lot of podcasts myself. I listen to a few, but I know some people that religiously listen. To, I've seen the stats, you know, some people that mm. listen to podcasts a lot. But I 
I just thought it'd be a really good idea to have some conversations with these people. And my thoughts had mainly been about demystifying some of the misinformation that we have around our health. It's mainly, my podcast is mainly about reproductive health. But for example, last year we have one on aging, you know, and there's lots on things like exercise and things that, that apply to everybody. So it's not just, and it's certainly not just for women, but but most of the guests happen to be female. But demystifying those myths, bringing in the conversation about health. And then for me, so many times people have said to me, especially when I was writing my book, why didn't I know this before? Why did no one tell me about female fertility decline? Why did no one tell me about menopause? Why did no one tell me that life post-menopause can be absolutely fantastic? You know, all those things we're never told. So then I thought, yes, let's do a podcast. So I only do it once every two weeks. It's just really a bit of fun. But there's so many amazing people. So already for this year, I'm almost booked up to the end of the year. (laughs) Just today, I was speaking to somebody who has written a fabulous book about sleep. And I just seized the moment. I said, actually, it was about the menopause project. They're going to help with uh, with that. And I said, can you be on my podcast? Yeah. So they're booked in for next month. I just couldn't resist their... So brilliant. So it's lots of people have just written a book. So I have to read all their books before the podcast, which is great. Oh, yeah. I know. Tell me about it. <laughs> Pile awesome. like this. <laughs> I know. I to read them. So yeah, I just want, I, I always feel that in my job, I learn so much and speak to so many amazing people. And I always think, I wish everyone else could know what I've just learned or what who I've just spoken to. So for me, it's extending those conversations to a public forum where you can hear the discussions with some of these brilliant people who work on everything from exercise to menopause to fertility to periods. We've got a bodybuilder coming on. We've got some celebrity uh, TV doctors coming on. We're talking about conception. We're talking about everything. So... Yeah, it it's you you know what it's like. It's a hard slog to be putting these <laughs> is anyone listening? Yeah. yeah, the stats last year I was listened to in 72 countries, which I loved on platforms that I didn't even know existed. There's some odd platforms out there. So yeah, it's it's good fun. It's it's a bit of hard work, but I I just love having these amazing conversations. And this year I want to meet in person some of the people I've had on my podcast. So Many of them are, by coincidence, cold water swimmers, <laughs> which is something I oh, really... Oh, this pre- is another thing that you're, uh, you're very into. Oh, interesting. We have our first paper, first paper coming out on cold water swimming and menstrual and menopause symptoms in the next couple of weeks. Oh, good. So, so yes. Keep an eye out yeah. for that. Yeah, it's, it's my husband's always trying to persuade me. I'm I'm I, I'm afraid I'm I'm not not a fan, <laughs> but he's a he's a big sauna person so he's all about jumping in cold water after being in the sauna but yeah uh, well we just i just been to oslo and it was minus 24 and we went to the water the water wasn't minus 24 we, went to the no. water <laughs> and we were walking around the sauna with like our swimming costumes on and it was minus three. it was an experience it was very, so yes very passionate about these things but this year i want to to meet some of those people that have been on the podcast and I either have dinner with them or if I'm on can. the road show. <laughs> the Joyce Harper road show. Get in the water with them. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, so 
anyone uh, who wants to find out more about you can go to uh, www.joyceharper.com um, and then I think the link for the survey is probably a, a something that, that um, rather than read it out, I'll put it in the show notes because it's going to be, um, yeah, one of those sort of numbers, words, case. letters kind of things, complicated things. But And, uh, and why didn't anyone tell me this? Uh, available on all your favourite podcast channels. So go and check that out too. And thank you so much, Joyce. And, and uh, yeah, look forward to, um, to seeing more news about uh, the programme uh, as that unfolds. Thank you very much, Emma. You've been listening to the Middling Along podcast. Do remember to subscribe to be notified when our next episode is live. And why not visit the blog at www.middlingalong.com to sign up to my newsletter as well. I do hope you enjoyed listening today. If you did, I'd be really grateful if you would consider leaving a short review as that helps people find the podcast and helps get it noticed. Hope you can join us next time. Goodbye for now.